mindset of them staying with the Carlsons for the last two and a half weeks, and they've been so wonderful and gracious, and uh, both did a great job this morning singing. Uh, since they can both th- sing, you might be wondering, is their house like a Disney musical? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> but I do want to sincerely thank you guys for your hospitality. Uh, text this morning is chapter Romans chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8. Make sure the right things here. Romans 4, 1 through 8. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about but not before God. For what does the scriptures say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, I pray for this message today. I pray that it can be pleasing to you, that no one would leave this room not knowing your gospel, not knowing your grace and the love that you have through the Lord Jesus, that we can know that you freely extend grace to us, Lord. I pray that it can be a message that we receive with joy, and gladness, that it, it can inspire us to follow you more closely, to have a greater appreciation for the magnitude of your grace. May we be confronted by the weight of our sin and respond in a faith, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So, again, I've been here for, I think I came July 14th, so about two and a half weeks. And uh, I grew up in, in central Ohio, went to school in northern Ohio, seminary in suburban Chicago, and, and now I'm here. And I think it's pretty clear that my life's ambition is to one day preach at the North Pole. <laughs> <laughs> Chicago and Fergus Falls are, I'll say, a little different. <laughs> so adjusting here and... Um, I was humbled last week by Ryan's sermon where he was talking about moving his family from the United States to Cameroon and how vastly different it is for them. And for me, that was, that was humbling to hear. He's talking about how the cooking is different, the way they clean is different, the air is different. I just think, how am I going to survive without Taco Bell? <laughs> last week, went to Hunan Spring Chinese Buffet. I like buffets. I like that a buffet, you can pick and choose what you want. You go down the line and maybe you pick the kind of rice you want, orange chicken, spring rolls, if you're me, like seven other things. You can get whatever you want. But I think sometimes we treat God's word like that, like we can just sort of pick and choose. We might have a teaching that we like, that we should love people, and that's easy to accept. But there might be one that's harder to believe or harder to accept, and we try to find a reason to, to justify why we don't necessarily have to follow it or why it doesn't necessarily apply today. 
Sometimes even I think we treat the gospel like that. Like you can pick and choose what you want with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Jesus did not die on the cross to give you the option of how to get to God. He died for sinners. He died for the ungodly. And the main point of this text today is that God, not only does God justify the ungodly, God only justifies the ungodly. There we go. And the language of this idea is especially highlighted in verse 5 of this chapter. But really, I think the whole passage revolves around this idea. Not only does God justify the ungodly, God only justifies the ungodly. And running through this passage today, I have four points I want to make on the subject of justification. To begin by giving an idea of the term justification, to be justified before God is to be made right with him. It's that when God judges you, he will not look at what you've done. He will look at what Jesus has done for you. And like I said, I have four points this morning to make on justification. First, we cannot be saved by what we do. Paul begins this section by asking a rhetorical question. What shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? What was gained by Abraham in the way how he lived his life, about his morality? What did that get him? Paul continues, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. If he could earn his way into heaven, he could boast. Think of it like when you work at a job. They pay you for the job that you're doing. They pay you for the work that you're doing. They give you what they owe you. Now, if payday came and they didn't have a check for you, you could argue, but you owe me this. This is what I have earned. And Paul is saying that Abraham could not be justified by how he lived his life. If he could, he would have something to boast about. But just because someone is really nice or helps take care of their parents or volunteers and helps people, well, those are all wonderful things. They are not the types of things that enable a person to stand before Almighty God and say, let me in. I deserve to be here. That's not how it works with God. It's not about doing enough good. It's not about tipping the scales in your favor. Doing enough good things to outweigh the bad things. It's that we can't do enough to deserve God. There isn't a quota of obedience, and if we just reach that mark, God somehow owes us heaven. If we do something bad, we can't outweigh it by doing something good. If we do something really bad, we can't outweigh it by doing a bunch of really good things. If we can't, could, or if Abraham could, there would be reason to boast. Look what I did. But the text goes on to say, not before God. There is no boasting before God. Because we cannot be saved by what we do. God is holy. And heaven is a holy place. And to be with God, we can't make ourselves holy. Paul, the same man who wrote this letter to the Romans, also says in Ephesians 2, For, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
It seems that part of the reason why Paul feels that this fact is worth mentioning is that people in Paul's original audience thought that Abraham was justified because of his life, because of his morality, because of his obedience. Abraham is a vastly significant figure in Israelite history. God made a promise to Abraham of land and honor and generations of offspring. Abraham was chosen by God. God spoke to Abraham. It's Abraham's family that leads to King David and ultimately that leads to Christ. Abraham is like the, David, is like the George Washington of God's people. We can appreciate the things that Abraham did. But we have to keep them in perspective. To know that Abraham was not justified by what he did, and neither are you. As Paul says in the preceding section of this book, none is righteous, Romans 3, verses 11 and 12. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. We sin. We aren't made right by what we do. Paul is telling Abraham's audience that it's not about how he lives. But I think that's a message that we need too. I think sometimes we look at biblical figures and we put them on a pedestal. Abraham or Moses or David or Ruth. We, we act like they were the varsity team. Like they were just so much better than we are. Like they were on a different level than the rest of us. I think we can do that with a popular pastor who we really enjoy listening to. Or with a, a Christian author who we've read their words and it was like they knew us personally. It was like they had insights into our own hearts. Or a Christian musician who again seems so insightful in the music. I think we can put these people on a pedestal like they're on a different level. But no one is significant in their own right. What matters is the God in whom people believe. There is no room to boast before a holy God. Not even for Abraham. For so many in our community, we also want to be justified by our works, to do enough good to be accepted by God. On the average Sunday, roughly 70 to 80% of the people in Fergus Falls are not attending church. Is it because they're all atheists? Of course not. The vast majority of people in this town and in America believe in God. But so many of us stop short of faith and focus on what we do and try to live good, moral lives and think that that's all that matters. It's nice to be nice, but no one can boast. Even the great pillars of faith could not boast in what they did. This would be really sad if it's all there was to the story, but the gospel isn't bad news, it's good news. God doesn't only justify the ungodly, God only justifies the ungodly. A second point. We are saved by faith. Paul here is quoting from the book of Genesis. Abraham believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness. We are saved by faith. We are justified by faith. I think it can help to get a sense of the life of Abraham. In Genesis 15, Abraham and his wife are both well advanced in years, and the couple has never had a child. But in spite of their age, God promises them a child. God had made a promise that seemed impossible. But the text says of Abraham, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. It was through Abraham that God instituted circumcision as a covenant sign with his people. 
Abraham was obedient in that. God finally blesses Abraham and Sarah with the promised son Isaac in Genesis 21. Yet, in the following chapter, God tells Abraham to take Isaac up on a mountain and sacrifice him. Abraham is willing to do this out of obedience to God before God intervenes and acknowledges the reverence that Abraham had by being willing to sacrifice his son. Abraham walked in obedience to God. But people can focus on the obedience itself. But what precedes the obedience of Abraham is faith. Abraham believed, and that was counted to him as righteousness. There is no earning favor with God. We believe. Abraham believed in what God had promised. And by trusting God, God declared him righteous. He was justified. This isn't to say the things that Abraham did didn't matter. It's just that they didn't matter in terms of contributing to his salvation. As I've said, all things Abraham did out of faith, those came after Abraham had initially trusted in God. Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. In that moment, once and forever, he was declared righteous. It wasn't that Abraham believed God and he was declared righteous if he then went on to do X, Y, and Z. It wasn't that he believed in God and that got him rolling down the path of righteousness. No, Abraham believed. He trusted the Lord and that was made him righteous. It is faith that justifies. It has always been faith that justifies. That's not a new message in the Bible. The word that's used in Genesis for believe, that's the first time we find that word in the Bible. And it's a reference to Abraham believing in the promises of the Lord. We have always been right with God on the basis of faith. I think sometimes people mock the idea of the gospel. Maybe you've heard this. I've heard people say things before like, Christians believe that you just have to say you believe in Jesus and you can do whatever you want. So you can have an atheist who is a really good person and they don't believe that that person is right with God. But then you can have someone who says they're a Christian and they can like, rob a bank and kill someone and, and they're just fine. While the cross of Christ is great enough to forgive all of your sins, don't misunderstand. Today's message isn't saying just say you accept Jesus and do whatever you want. When you were growing up and you knew your parents would love you no matter what you did, did you say, well, then I guess I should just be as bad as I possibly can? No. Hopefully not. <laughs> Faith matters. What you actually believe matters. Just saying that you have faith and having no desire to know God, having no recognition of your sin, having no desire to pursue Christ, these are indications of a person who is not truly walking in faith. Saying isn't always believing. You can say that you like your great aunt Mildred's lima bean jello, but you don't. You can be driving with your wife and Celine Dion comes on and you can say, ugh, I hate this music. And you don't. <laughs> One of the most common lies we say, even as Christians, everything's fine. Everything's, your house just burned down and you got fired today. No, everything's fine. Just because you say something doesn't mean you believe it. What you actually believe matters. Look at it like this. In the Bible, in the book of James, James talks about how faith without works is dead. 
Now, that might seem contradictory. Is James preaching a totally different message than our message this morning? No. It's that to say you've accepted grace and not to have it impact your life shows a life that hasn't been impacted by the grace. The gospel isn't telling us that we just have to say we accept Jesus and that what we do doesn't matter at all. God does have a desire for how he wants us to live our lives. He does desire for us to love him, to love other people, to care for people in our community, to love the people in our church. He wants us to know him. He wants us to have an outward focus instead of an inward focus. He wants us to raise up godly children. He wants us to use language that builds up and edifies. When we do have a true faith, that faith changes how we live our lives. But the point isn't that we should be good so that God can love us. It's that God loved us first and wants us to be good. Sometimes I hear people who make claims about God that are found nowhere in Scripture, that are totally contrary to the teachings of the Bible. I hear people say things like, well, really, all that God wants is just for us to be good people. Is that what God wants? Or is it that God wants us to have faith in him? In this section of Romans, as well as in Galatians chapter 2 and Hebrews 11, they all quote the same passage from Genesis. Abraham believed and God counted it as righteousness. There are numerous verses in the Bible that talk about the essentialness of faith. Just to give a few examples, perhaps the most popular, most well-known verse in all of Scripture, John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Paul goes on to say later in this book, Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Hebrews 11:1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. So where do we get these ideas that what matters is just being a good person? Faith is what God wants. And after coming to God in faith, after knowing God, after knowing the depths of sin of your human heart, and the new life that God lifts you up to, after knowing those things and having faith and trusting God, that changes your life. You are never the same. Just saying that you have faith when you really don't, just saying that you have faith when you don't have faith is not going to fool an all-knowing God. That's not a loophole in the system. The gospel isn't telling us to make an empty, vague statement about a faith that you don't actually have and a God you don't actually care to know. We are saved by faith. We are made right with faith. You can't be good enough, but God forgives you anyway. You can't earn it, but the goodness of God, he gives it freely. It changes your life. As I've said already, again, the things that Abraham did 
It's not that those don't matter. It's not that those aren't significant. But those are all a response to the faith that he had. The things that he did are all out of faith in God. A third point. There we go. God justifies the ungodly. You guys might be starting to think, it was Ryan right when he said you were good with technology? <laughs> Verse 5, again, the text returns to the idea that we are not saved by what we do. To the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Who justifies the ungodly. So once again, it's not that we do enough good things to be worthy, and God says, that's pretty good. It's not that we are basically good, and God accepts that. It's not that we're walking around like two-year-olds, unwittingly making mistakes, that we, and God says, well, they don't know any better. God justifies the ungodly. Not only does God justify the ungodly, God only justifies the ungodly. Those are the only kinds of people whom God justifies. If we could be godly, then we wouldn't need a God to justify us. And if you're in a dark place today, that might almost sound too good to be true. That might sound hard to believe. Sometimes late at night, I'll watch an infomercial. We've all done it. You get sucked in. Maybe it's a kitchen appliance, and you're watching, and you think, that looks pretty good. The chicken looks pretty good. And they draw you in, and they say, you know, we'll throw in these this these knives or whatever if you if you buy anything. Hmm. And they said, but wait, there's more. It'll be three easy payments of twenty nine ninety five instead of four easy payments of twenty nine ninety five. But wait, there's more. Free shipping, and you get a money back guarantee. And we'll throw in this cookbook a nineteen dollar value. And you're thinking, but wait, there's more. And they say, like, if you order within the next ten minutes, we'll double the order. And you're thinking, no, like they're losing money at this point. The gospel can sound so amazing if you're in the depths of sin and you know that you're in the depths of sin that it can almost be hard to believe. But we have a God that is so good that he is greater than our comprehension. The message of forgiveness in the gospel, the message that no matter what you've done, Jesus can forgive to a person buried under the rocks and dirt of a lifetime of sin can sound like such a sweet deal that it almost seems too easy. But again, that's the kind of God we have. A good God. A forgiving God. A God who paid the debt. Maybe you think of all the things you've done. Maybe you do feel the weight of your sins. Or if not now, maybe there are times where it hits you more than others. You think about what's in your own heart. And you think that if there really were a perfect God, there's no way he would accept you. Not only does God justify the ungodly, though. God only justifies the ungodly. God only justifies the ungodly because that's the only kind of person there is. Everyone whom God has ever justified was ungodly. Again, it's because we are ungodly that we needed a God to justify us. But wait, there's more. God justifies you for every sin you've committed, every sin you're in right now, and every sin you will commit in the future, God justifies the ungodly. So if you feel unworthy of love or of grace, God justifies the ungodly. God is a forgiving God. 
I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon in his book, All of Grace. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It is a very surprising thing. A thing most of all to be marveled at by those who enjoy it. I know that it is not to me, even to this day, the greatest wonder I've ever heard that God should ever justify me. I feel myself to be a lump of unworthiness, a mass of corruption and a heap of sin apart from his almighty love. I know by a full assurance that I am justified by faith, which is in Christ Jesus, and treated as if I had been perfect and just and made an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ, yet by nature I must take my place among the most sinful. I, who am altogether undeserving and treated as if I had been deserving, I am loved with as much love as if I had always been godly. Whereas, aforetime, I was ungodly. Who can help being astonished at this? Gratitude for such favor stands dressed in robes of wonder. If God justifies the ungodly, then, dear friend, he can justify you. Is not that the very kind of person that you are? End quote. The gospel is a message that can be hard to accept especially when you feel the magnitude of sin weighing down on you. But God justifies the ungodly. God justifies us who come to him in faith. You're worthy because God says you're worthy. You don't have to have all of the answers. You don't have to have it all figured out. Which, by the way, if you're waiting for that, that day will never come. You might have misconceptions or preconceived notions about Christianity. There's so many different things we hear in our world, so many different voices we hear competing, conflicting things. But one thing in the Bible that is absolutely clear and absolutely prevalent throughout the entire canon is that we are justified by faith, that coming to God in faith is what God justifies us by. All you need is faith. Fourth point. Grace over works. The final point here on justification is kind of wrapping a bow on everything. In these last verses of this section, Paul is quoting David from Psalm 32. Paul prefaces this quote by talking about how David is here speaking of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. The significance of these verses is the fact that he's talking about God's forgiveness. But, it's not, if you read carefully, it's not that we're forgiven because of the things that we do. It's that we do bad things, and the grace of God is that he does not hold the bad things against you. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. The gospel is not about what we do. It's about what God has done. It is entirely the work of God. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. It's not blessed are the moral. Blessed are those who are good people. No, it's assuming we sin. The text continues. And whose sins are covered. Imagine a blanket being thrown over your sins. Out of sight. They're out of the way. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. 
The point isn't that we are good and that God rewards our goodness. It's that we are bad, but that God overlooks it because he's a justifying God. He's a good God. It's that though we continue to sin, God forgives. When we come to God in faith, that is credited as righteousness. All are welcome to come to God who justifies the ungodly. And this was a message that David, who wrote this psalm, needed just as much as we do. David, the king of Israel. David, another link in the chain that leads to Christ. David, whom the Bible describes as being a man after God's own heart. But he was still a sinful person. The most notable sin of David is the affair that he had with Bathsheba in 2 Samuel chapter 11. At the time, David is already king of Israel. He sees Bathsheba. She's beautiful. He seduces her. Already not good. Bathsheba gets pregnant. So David has Bathsheba's husband, who's been away fighting wars, named Uriah. David has him brought back. The idea is basically that if he comes back and sees his wife, and, uh, <laughs> Maybe people will think it's Uriah's baby. Mari Povich would have been all over this. <laughs> In 2 Samuel 11, 11, Uriah is back, and he doesn't even sleep inside of his own house because he's thinking about his men, his fellow warriors, who are out on the battlefield. He won't even sleep inside the house because he's so honorable. In this episode, Uriah is everything that David isn't. He has integrity, David doesn't. He's thinking about others. David's thinking about himself. So David tries again the next night. Tries to get Uriah drunk. Also doesn't work. Uriah is still too honorable and sleeps outside of his house. So what's David do? He has Uriah's marching orders changed. And he has them sent to the front lines of the battle where Uriah dies. Afterwards, David marries Bathsheba. That's pretty extreme. It's a terrible sin that David committed, no doubt. But we have a God whose love is greater than our sins. Again, David wrote, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. If you're someone who's never had the gospel take root in your heart and you feel unworthy of grace, feel like you can never be forgiven for all the wrongs you've done. The message that Jesus saves, he forgives, he justifies the ungodly, that's the greatest news there is. But maybe you've been in church your whole life. Maybe you've been walking with the Lord for a long time and you still see how imperfect you are, how much you missed the mark. And it can lead to frustrations, it can lead to times of despair. But in those moments, remember that it is all about God. It is God that justifies the ungodly. It is not you justifying yourself. He takes away the penalty of sins. As we continue to sin, and we will because we are ungodly, God forgives. We come to him in faith. And sometimes things can seem like they're going two steps forward, one step back. We keep slipping up. God justifies the ungodly. You don't have to have the burden of trying to earn God. He freely gives grace. So if you are walking in a sin today, 
know that God does offer grace. But don't forget that he still does have a will for how he wants us to live. He does have a moral will for his lives that he desires us to follow. Abraham is a wonderful example of following this while remembering that that was not his salvation. For all of us in this room today, the reason why we can be justified is the cross. Because Jesus came to earth and lived a righteous life that he freely gave for you. Like the hymn we were singing earlier this morning, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. No matter what sin you've committed, no sin is greater than the cross of Christ because Jesus paid it all. And the song continues, sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. We are justified by Jesus, the justifying God. Jesus came to earth and he lived the life you could not live and died the death you should have died so that you could be with him. Because we have a good God, a God who is worthy of praise. So let us go out as people who do walk in faith. And while that can be easier or harder some days, to continue to trust in God, to trust in His salvation, to have a greater desire each and every day to know God better, to grow in a relationship with Christ, to know the salvation that comes from His work on the cross for you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, again, I pray that we can be a gospel-centered people more and more each and every week. Let us have a greater appreciation for the love that you have. And let us continue to be a greater light in the community each and every week, growing, growing as a body, growing as individual Christians, growing as families. In Jesus' name, amen.